Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to see you here today. Good to have you joining us online as well. I'm sure enjoying all of the wonderful uh, weather that we're having. Summer's over, isn't it? I mean, just because you don't say it doesn't mean it's not true, right? I mean, at some point we've got to say goodbye to summer, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're joining us online as well. And as Pastor Ben said earlier, I'd love to have you fill out those um, connect cards, the opportunities that we have to pray for one another and, uh, and share one another's burdens. It's what it means to be the church. So I want to encourage you to do that. So we started a series last week, and uh, that series, uh, this is my story. And so the question very inevitably this morning becomes, well, what's yours? So what is your story? Back in 2009, there's a guy named Brandon Doman. <clears throat> Brandon Doman, he was a young guy. He was sitting in a coffee shop, and he just liked collecting people's stories. And so actually one day when he sat down in the coffee shop, he took out a pad of paper and a pencil, and he just started introducing himself to people and just said, hey, I'm collecting stories. And so he said, would you be willing to share your story to different strangers? And sure enough, after a while, people started doing it. Next thing you know, they started bringing people to him. You got to hear this person's story. Well, don't just tell me, write it down. So at one point, he had collected over 18,000 stories. And uh, he created a website that you can go to. You can look it up. It's the Strangers Project. But on that website, he's got tens of thousands of people's personal stories. They've just been willing to share those. He even wrote a book. And uh, it's just an incredible thing to go and just see how all of this plays out. One of the most amazing things about these stories, though, is as he shares them and as these people share these stories, you begin to see connections get formed between people sharing their stories, having similar experiences and, and different things like that. But what it really reveals, ultimately, is that there's something that's in all of us that wants to be known, that wants to be known. Uh, we want people to understand what makes us, us. Now, inevitably, there's somebody that's going to be like, not me, Pastor Rich, I'm good. Don't ever call me on the platform to share my story. Don't ever point at me. Just point at all of you. Okay, don't, don't ever do any of that stuff. I mean, I'm good. I'm good if I'm just, nobody knows exactly anything about me. But listen, our actions and our lives and our words betray us because from everything from the clothes you wear to the tattoo you get to the way you speak, to the people you hang out with, all, everything communicates something about what makes us, us, okay? Everything that we do and say communicates a story. So there is a part of us all that wants to give at least an idea of what makes us, us. Uh, if somebody were to ask you, what is your story, what would you say? What would you say? Now, if you're a believer, your story is intertwined with Jesus, with Jesus, so the question then is, how often do you share your story as it's intertwined with the storyline of Scripture, with the story of Christ? We talk about a lot of things, don't we? We spend a lot of time talking about a lot of things. We let our fingers do the, the talking a lot, too. Uh, we talk about our job. Maybe, you know, you talked about uh, yesterday and last night how amazing it was that the Milwaukee Brewers had a no-hitter yesterday. You don't talk about those things at your house. It's okay, not every household's perfect. I understand, it's okay. Instead, you talked about how uh, Rodgers will hit Devontae Adams this afternoon against the New Orleans Saints in an amazing way, right? I mean, you guys talk, no. You, again, not every house is perfect. You'll get there, you'll get there. 
Okay? But all kidding aside, listen, we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about our jobs. We talk about our family. We talk about our frustrations. We talk about politics. We love to talk about politics. We talk about uh, drama. We talk about other people's drama. We're experts, aren't we, in other people's drama. Uh, we love to talk about all kinds of different things, our opinions. But if you're a believer, Jesus is your story. Jesus is your story. Do you share it? So what we're doing is in these three weeks, last week we kind of set it up uh, so that you could see your story in the context of the overall story of Scripture. But uh, beginning today and the next week and then the week after that, these three weeks, we're going to articulate our story so that when somebody does ask you, what is your story? You'll be able to give them a very simple, quick answer. You can tell them. So our goals for this series, and, and they're right here on the screen, that in 45 seconds or less, you're going to be able to tell somebody your story. 45 seconds or less. Number two, that you'll identify five people that you want to share that story with. Number three, and this one's kind of fun, that you're going to narrow your story down to one word. One word. You can do it. I believe in you. Okay? That you can narrow it down to one word. But then finally, and probably the most important, is that Jesus is the center of your story. That Jesus is the center. So, in fact, in your seats, and there's going to be uh, some forms online, they're going to be downloadable. Uh, and in the back, if you did not get one as you came in or you need to pick one up as you leave, there's a card. It's got two sides to it. And uh, this is essentially your guide these next three weeks. This is your guide. And uh, I want to encourage you to hang on to it. I want to encourage you to look at it when we talk about it. And uh, this will be your kind of worksheet for the next three weeks. But every story has movements. And on the card, you can see there's a before movement, there's a then movement, and then there's a now movement. A now movement. And so today, we're talking about the before movement. Now, if Jesus is central to your story, if Jesus is central to your story, then it makes sense that the before is a life before Jesus, before you had an encounter with Jesus. And to understand that, I went to Scripture, and I really, I really, really wanted to pick a different person in Scripture than the one I inevitably picked, uh, just because I, you know, just kind of want to spread out the love a little bit. But honestly, when I was praying about it and putting this together, the person that God kept bringing me back to was the most obvious person, and uh, it was a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul just hits all of these different movements perfectly in a very clear-cut manner, which I think is good for us. It's, it'll keep it kind of simple. But uh, his name is Paul. But uh, whatever you know about Paul, and maybe you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, and if that's okay, that's completely fine. But whatever you know about Paul, uh, his story is going to be our example. But if, if we're going to understand Paul's story, then we actually have to understand the story of somebody else. You have to understand the story of a guy named Saul, not Paul, but a guy named Saul. His name is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a man who had the blood of the very first martyr of the Christian faith on his hands. He was guilty. Uh, there was a guy named Stephen. Stephen was a young Christian in Jerusalem. Uh, Stephen was described as having the countenance of an angel. Just an incredible servant, an incredible young man, uh, that did not matter to Saul of Tarsus, did not matter at all. He despised everything that this young man Stephen was about, everything he talked about. So Saul did something about it, and on the northern outskirts of Jerusalem, uh, a bunch of religious leaders got together, 
And they picked up rocks, big stones, jagged edges, and, uh, and they killed Stephen. They began to throw stones at him, and uh, all the while Saul was there sanctioning it, holding their robes so that they didn't hinder them in their attack of Stephen as they threw these rocks at him, ripping his flesh off of his bones, off of his skull. And I want to read for you um, the message translation of the Bible of this account. It's a contemporary language version. You're going to see it on the screen, Acts chapter 9. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin, his last words. Then he died. Saul was right there, congratulating the killers. Now, if you're familiar with Saul of Tarsus, you know that this is not where his story ends. This is not the culmination of his story. It's not what he's completely remembered for. Um, Saul had a really radical encounter with Jesus Christ one day. Uh, the same Savior that Stephen served. Uh, but every one of us has a before. It's important. It's a part of our story. Saul, who hated the name of Jesus, was essentially a religious terrorist. Now, I'm not sharing that for shock value. The bottom line is it's true. He was essentially a religious terrorist. He was born a very privileged Jew uh, in Cilicia, which is a hub of commerce and everything in what's now modern-day Turkey. And uh, his mother died when he was young, but his father was a very successful businessman. He was a tent maker. And uh, so uh, he lived this very privileged life growing up. He was steeped in deep, long-standing religious and intellectual pursuits. Paul was an intellectual. He was a smart, smart dude. Now, his parents would have been Pharisees. And this is really, really important. His parents were Pharisees. They're highly committed to the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. And ultimately, Pharisees kind of added some things to the Mosaic law as well. But the ultimate goal of the Pharisees was essentially to set up a system of us and them. We're going to do everything that's necessary to make sure that there's categories, that, that we hold the power, we hold the privilege, that we're the ones really who have access to God. Then there's those people. And we don't want to be contaminated by those people. So we're going to set up barriers and we're going to set up boundaries so that those people don't mess our people up. And we're just going to kind of keep this distance. Those were the Pharisees. That was what the Pharisees were all about. Non-believers and non-Jews, they need to stay away. And you've got to toe a certain line if you're going to be us. Instead, you're them. And at 13, Saul, who is steeped in this, becomes an expert in rabbinic law. In fact, by 13, he had almost the entirety of the Old Testament you and I have in our hands memorized. He had committed it to memory. But maybe more importantly than that, he knew how to use the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law as a weapon. He weaponized the Old Testament. Uh, he was shipped off to study under a guy named Gamaliel, and uh, he just became an expert debater. Uh, and when it came to wordplay, there was no argument you could win when it came to Saul. Uh, to a certain extent, he almost became part preacher, but then also part lawyer. 
persecuting those who fell outside of the Mosaic law. So what was the end goal of all that? This totally makes 100% sense. Politics. <laughs> he did all of this stuff to secure a seat with 71 men on, on a Jewish, essentially, supreme court, and they would rule and reign over the activities, religious and otherwise, cultural, anything, when he came to the Jewish people. He was going to be ultimately the quintessential religious politician. That's what he would do. Saul, this man, Saul of Tarsus, had heard Stephen's trial. He'd heard Stephen's defense. And it was a, it was a culmination of a bunch of different events that had ultimately stirred the anger of the religious elite. And the bottom line is, if you were in Jerusalem in that moment, and you were one of the religious leaders like Saul, your world was being completely rocked. Everything was changing. Everything was changing. So yesterday was September 11th. It's a 20-year anniversary of 9-11. Some of you sitting in this room, it's just weird for this to come out of my mouth, weren't even born yet. You've not known a world pre-9-11. For my generation, uh, I mean, I, I saw the Berlin Wall, you know, and I, I saw all of that stuff as a Gen X kid. But this event, 9-11 for me, was kind of that moment where I realized, okay, everything just changed. Everything. I remember um, I was sitting in my office at the church. It was right next door to our house at the time in Iowa, and Shelly called me. She was sitting with our seven, eight-month-old firstborn. And she said, Rich, something happened. You need to come home because this is bad. And I finished up what I was doing, and you know, this is before you got instant news on your phone and, and all that kind of different stuff. And so I went over and uh, went into the house, and as soon as I went in to the living room where Shelly is sitting there with Jack, seven, eight-month-old, I saw the second plane hit the second tower. And I remember exactly how I felt in that moment and throughout the rest of the day. And there's a lot of emotions. Some, I mean, I was angry. Weren't you angry? I mean, I, I, then I was in disbelief. Then you can't wrap your brain around the, the magnitude of the loss and, and everything that you're watching, the unknown of what will September 12th look like and 13th. But I do remember feeling like, okay, this is, this is different. Something just changed. Now, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not equating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with 9-11 terrorist attacks, okay? But in the same way, for Saul and those other religious leaders, everything was changing. Everything. How many of you just absolutely love change? You're so excited about it, okay? Somebody once said, and you've heard this, the only person that enjoys change is a wet baby. <laughs> Listen, if you've ever changed a wet baby, you know that's not true. They scream and cry the whole time, okay? Nobody likes change, and we're not much different. Change messes with our business, right? Change is hard. It's, it's an unwelcome thing, even when the change is good. We still resist it. We still push against it. Well, in Saul's case, there's a millennia of religious traditions and heritage and familial ties that are just being upended in this moment. And the Jews in Jerusalem, this was probably the biggest insult. The Jewish people in Jerusalem were claiming Jesus by the thousands. All of a sudden, Jerusalem was on fire 
for Jesus. And in a, in a heartbeat, these religious leaders who held all of the power and the influence and all of this different stuff were finding themselves marginalized. They were finding themselves on the outside looking in. They're the ones who are being revealed as not having it. And all of a sudden they do exactly the same thing <laughs> even in 2021, what people do when confronted with truth. They double down. We're going to double down. And so they started issuing arrest warrants. But even that backfired on them. Okay? They, just, they just got more and more emboldened to speak about Jesus. Jerusalem, again, figuratively was on fire for Jesus. And these religious leaders were finding themselves on the outside of all of that. Exposed, honestly, for the hypocrites that they were. So disciple after disciple gets arrested. They get arrested, they get brought in to, to stand trial. One of those being the disciple Peter. Peter. So I want you to listen to Peter's words, Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles answered, listen, we're going to obey God instead of men. So he just lays it out really clear. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We're witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, when the religious leaders heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. <laughs> it's like not black and white there. It's just they wanted to kill them. Saul heard that. Saul heard that from the very person he would one day serve with, he heard those words. Saul is a witness to this, honestly, ignorant fisherman, an uneducated man, standing up for this now dead Jesus. And once released, Peter kept going, and so did the others, and Saul could not stand it. He could not take it. It threatened everything, every foundational element that his entire life was built on, was being threatened by every word that these men and women spoke. In fact, he talked later about how horrifically full of rage this made him. Acts 26. I myself was convinced I ought to do many things in imposing the name of Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. I mean, he was a tyrant. He was after them. If the mission to erase the influence of Jesus had a spokesperson, it was Saul. Saul was the guy, not Paul. Not Paul. Paul would go on to write the bulk of the New Testament that you have in your hands. Paul, who would almost single-handedly plant church after church after church and sprinkle the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the Mediterranean world and the Middle East. This force to be reckoned with. Paul who would suffer horrifically for the sake of Christ. 
for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and never not once argue that his rights were being violated. He, he, he clamored for the opportunity to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Experts actually have studied this and they've, they've determined that if, if Paul maybe wouldn't have been arrested one or two of those times or he was shipwrecked a bunch, I mean, the guy, his, his life was a mess, okay? But if a few of those things might not have happened, Paul actually may have been able to take the gospel as far as the southern edge of what is today England. That's how prolific Paul was. But that's the apostle Paul. That's not Saul of Tarsus. It's not Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, according to Acts 8.3, ravaged the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Every story has a before, doesn't it? That's where we leave Saul of Tarsus today, uh, at his before. Next week, Pastor Ben is going to be sharing about then, what happened. But what's your story today? Really quickly, there are some clear things that I think we see from this before uh, in the life of Saul. And the first is this, regardless of your life today, everybody has a before. Everybody has a before. Elsewhere in scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Paul writes, for all have sinned, and most of you know this, and fall short. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so we are sinful by nature, and we also choose it. We're sinful by choice at times. And Saul was there. That, that was Saul to a T. In fact, later in a moment of brutal honesty, when he became Paul, if you haven't figured that out yet, that's what happens, right? Saul becomes Paul. And, uh, but, but later in a moment of honesty, as he's looking back at this before section of his life, he's like, hey man, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm like, crown me the king. I'm the worst guy I know. That's Saul. He knows He's the chief of sinners. And as I say that, I recognize that there may be some people that struggle with the idea of a before. I get that. Um, for, some people there's, for some people, there's a clear line of distinction. There's a moment, maybe even later in life, where you have an encounter with Jesus, and there's a clear moment where, yeah, that was my life before, but then I met Jesus, and now it's different. Okay, for some people, that's, for me, mine is May 16th, 1992. I mean, before, it's just a clear moment where I accepted Christ into my life and what he had done for me. So there's a very clear before chapter of my life and a very clear after chapter of my life. Not everybody has that story. Not everybody is a religious terrorist. Some people have really extreme testimonies of transformation. And we in the church, we have a tendency to elevate those stories right? So if you have a, if, if somebody has a story where they're just, they've just done horrible things, or they've made horrible decisions, and treated people horribly, or they had some massive, maybe it was an addiction that ruled their life, or, you know, they just, they were, they were a definite before person, okay? But then they have this amazing transformation through Jesus Christ, and now they're completely different, we, we have a tendency to elevate those stories of transformation, don't we, in the church? We have a tendency to be able to elevate those and say, hey, you want to see what God can do? And then we point at those examples. And that's fantastic, and we need to do that. But then the reality is, that doesn't mean stories that don't have all that drama are less important. Okay? Are you following me there? 
Some of y'all didn't grow up in the religious terrorist category. I mean, I didn't, okay? But we all do have some kind of a before. And in Rich Doring's logic, I think you guys have been around me long enough to know, I like order. I like A, B, and C. I like black and white. I like things to be clear and clean, and I like to check things off of a list. Life doesn't work that way, okay? And for some people, their before is A, and then we land on W over here, and then we backtrack to M and then go to S, then we go to negative A. We're like way over here. Then we end up on B. We made it to B. And then maybe C looks a little iffy. Some, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not as simple as boom, boom, boom all the time. I've had to repent and ask God to forgive me of my sin after I met Jesus. I know, super shocker. Have you? Okay. So it's not as simple as that, but we need to be able to articulate a story of transformation. And so I know that this might be a little bit of a struggle for some to be like, yeah, I, I don't have this radical extreme before story. And so that's okay. And I'm going to invite my wife, actually. She's going to come up at this time. Shelly has worked through this idea that she's married a guy with that before story, uh, but uh, she doesn't necessarily have the same kind of experience in a story. So I want to, I want you to hear from her just briefly about what that looks like for her. Good morning. Uh, so when I was five or six, when I was really young, um, my mom prayed with me, um, cause I had asked, you know, I wanted to go to heaven and, uh, that was what my mom told me later. Cause I don't remember that. So I was very young when I started my journey with God and, um, Growing up in the church, my dad was a pastor. My mom's dad, my grandfather, was a pastor. All three of her brothers were pastors. So I had this um, wonderful heritage of growing up in the church. Um, so when going to church my young life, uh, they would you know, have an altar call. I always felt a tug in my heart, and I would go down and I would pray. And um, I, would, I recognized when God was pointing out sin in my life. I had been um, nurtured to see that and understand that. And I'm really, really grateful for that. My parents always told me that I had a sensitive, um, that I was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, I had a great relationship with my parents. Uh, my dad was my dad before he was my pastor. I'm grateful for that. He was very much... Uh, involved in my life, and both of my parents were. Um, I went to them often and felt, you know, when I felt God was talking to me for advice and, you know, asked them, and uh, then as I got older, um, when I went to church camp as a teenager, I, I really felt like God was um, asking me to give up my own plans for my life and take on whatever plan he had for me, which was the unknown. And I didn't know what that would look like. And that was kind of scary to me. And yet I felt like I really wanted to do what God wanted me to do. So I made the decision to just say, okay, God, this is, my life is not my own. It is yours. And what do you want to do with my life? Um, and at that point, I think, was when I started to realize that my heritage was wonderful. However, I needed to make a decision on my own to make this about me and God and not 
base my, my relationship with him solely on just my family and my upbringing and my heritage. Um, so I decided to let go of my future and let God do what he wanted with me. And it's taken me on a, a great ride. I'm not perfect. Sin still can enter my life. And because I have a relationship with him, though, um, he works with me. And I'm, I'm able to identify that and rectify it and, and move on. Um, my family would say, you know, we raised you to be a Christian. But I can say now that I am a Christian and that it's because of my personal relationship with God. And as much as I'm grateful for the upbringing that I had, there was a point where I decided that this was what I wanted and not just this is who we are as a family. That's good. She said that she's not perfect, but she's pretty close. I was not that good. I mean, that was really good, right? Okay. Are you applauding me for pandering to my wife? Okay. She, some, uh, she said something really important in there. Uh, there's a point where your faith becomes your own. The point where your faith becomes your own. Uh, when you move from Christians are who we are to Christian is what I am. It was a very distinct moment. It requires repentance. It requires a declaration of Jesus as your Savior. Uh, and maybe your story, again, doesn't have all the drama that other people's stories do. But listen, no drama doesn't equal no need. You still have a need for Jesus. And maybe your story includes gratitude, that you don't have some of the baggage that others who have these major stories of transformation carry along with them. Yes, God forgives us, but we don't get our memory erased. Uh, I've had a lot of people come up to me over the years when they hear my story and say, Pastor Rich, you don't know how lucky you are. You weren't raised in the church. And I always kind of, I cringe at that just a little bit, and I get it. There's a lot of baggage that people carry around sometimes when they're raised in the church. There's legalism. There's hypocrisy, seeing people pro profess one thing and act completely different. I mean, there's all of that stuff. And, and I get that. I get that. But listen, man, <laughs> there's probably days also where I would trade you 100 times over uh, so that you could carry some of the stuff that I have in my before. And I'll take up some of yours for a while. We all have a story. We all have a story. Uh, just because your before doesn't carry drama, it doesn't make your story less important. We all have a story. They're all important. Paul had one. Paul had one. So do you. And because of that, we can also know that regardless of your before, there is always hope. And I want you to hear me very, very clearly. There is always hope. There's always hope. The very nature of the story that God is writing is that he goes to great lengths to move you past this before section of life. He goes to great lengths. And listen, there is literally nothing in your past that can outrun or overrule the grace of God. Do you believe that? I'm going to say it again. There is nothing in your past that can overrule or outrun the grace of God. His grace is sufficient. There is forgiveness. 
There is removal of shame. There's a guy named John Wesley. John Wesley, uh, he's the founder of Methodism. Uh, we trace our church roots back to this man as the Church of the Nazarene, but he wrote about his true conversion experience back in 1738. This is what he wrote. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistles to the Romans. Exciting. <laughs> Sound fun, doesn't it? About a quarter before nine, while the leader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he'd taken away my sins, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. Listen, if God can take a super religious dude like John Wesley and reach him, and he can also take a religious terrorist like Saul and turn him into an apostle named Paul, God can do amazing things with you. There's always hope, and it means the third thing. Because of that hope, you can begin again. You can begin again. I've known a whole lot of people who get stuck on where they were where they were, and I've done it too. I've done it too. How could God use me after the things I've done, the things I've seen, the things I've tasted, the things I've touched? How could God use someone like me? It's important to remember where we came from, but God did not build us to live there. That's not our destination. That's not our destination. Listen, sins are forgiven. Shame is no more. You were designed for the before. On your seats, you have a card, as I mentioned. Uh, and if you don't have one, you can grab one on the way out. This is your guide in this series. I want you to bring it back every week. I've asked several people to lead the way, though. Today is the beginning of our fall run of life groups in this church. And we're going to encourage you, if you've not plugged into a life group, you can go online, you can download the app, just hit groups, and uh, you can find out more information about how to get plugged into a life group. All of that being said, those are leaders of our life groups. I went to them, and I asked them if they would get this kick started. And I asked them if they would be vulnerable and begin to share their stories. And so what you have is, uh, you know, this before section. My name is such and such. Before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, my life was, you fill in the blank. For example, you fill in the blank. I felt, and then you fill in the blank. This is before Christ. I want to encourage you to add yours to Facebook when you get a chance with the hashtag, this is my story. At the same time, again, crafting on the backside of your card what your story is. And again, like I said, I've asked a few people to lead the way who are life group leaders, people like Susan and Josh. You can see them on the screen there. Susan, before, my name is Susan. Before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, my life was empty and I had a hole in my heart. I tried to fill my life with work, food, and many things trying to fill the emptiness. I felt empty and lost. I felt alone and lost. Maybe you can relate to that. Or you've got Josh. My name is Josh. Before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, my life was full of selfish lies and deceit and pain. My life was focused on giving in to my wants and desires without thinking about the effects on others. I felt fake and ashamed of my sinful life and was left wanting to be better but felt stuck. Have you ever been there? 
stories. At some point in the next few days, fill out that before section. In a few weeks, once you finish that story, you're going to summarize it on the back with one word. I so desperately want to tell you what my one word is, but I'm going to wait. One word. The last week of this series and the week after that, we want to get you in front of this banner that's right over here. Um, we'll take it into the foyer or somewhere else and get your picture holding your one word because I want you to listen to me very closely. Your story, your story is also our story. It's the story of real life. Your story is the story of real life, community church. We want to get a glimpse of the overarching story that God is writing through you and through this church. Maybe today you're looking at that card and you're thinking, you know, as you listen to the story of Saul, uh, maybe you realize you're still in the before category. Um, as you look at that blank, maybe in your notes where it says this is blank story, you haven't yet come to a point where you'd be able to put your name in there. Uh, I want to help you accept Christ's invitation today into the story. Um, in your in your handout in a, in, on the screen here in a second, there's going to be a prayer. It's a simple prayer to accept Christ's gift of forgiveness in your life. There's nothing magical about that prayer. I need to be upfront with you. Just because you say it doesn't mean anything. Um, but it does mark a moment in time where you and your heart can make a decision, can make a choice to move from before to then. Then. And I want to lead us in that prayer. I want every single one of us to have the opportunity to put our name on the line. Would you stand and you'll see the words on the screen. I'm going to ask you if you would, would you pray this out loud with me right where you are? Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you now and for eternity. It has affected my relationship with others and with you. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live the life I could not live free of sin. I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sin through his death on the cross. Today, I accept the gift that you give me through the sacrifice of Jesus. I accept the forgiveness for my sin that you offer, and I proclaim today that I am born again through Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. I want to tell you today, if you pray that prayer, and, and for some of you, you've prayed that prayer before. This was just a, a practice of praying it again. But for some of you, uh, this might be the very first time you prayed that prayer and from your heart really meant it. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Write the date down on your card. Write the date down on your card. Make a, make a mark that there is a definite before and then prepare yourself for what is after. Uh, here's the other thing that I know. If you prayed that prayer today, there's literally a party going on in heaven right now. Scripture says it in Luke chapter 15. I think that's pretty cool. So if you walk across a line of faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the angels of heaven now are celebrating in the presence of God because of a decision of a sinner to come home for somebody to walk across that line of faith and leave their before story and enter into their now and then story, the after. I just want to encourage you uh, jump into any opportunity. Your next step might be baptism. Uh, in the next, on, on October 3rd, we're going to have a baptism service here. And uh, 
I want to invite you. There's a class next week and the week after. Uh, one of those opportunities to come learn more about what baptism is all about. But uh, one of the things that Jesus challenges us to do is after we make a profession of faith is to, to be baptized and make a public confession of that faith. And I want to encourage you to take that opportunity if you're interested. And you can see that on the app as well. But I want to encourage you to do that. Can I pray for us as we prepare to walk out of here today? Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful that you love us, that in, in your writing of this grand story, Father, you've included us. There's no small characters in your story either. Father, if we were a small character, you never would have sent your son Jesus to die for us. You've loved us with this everlasting love, and because of that, Father, we don't have to live in what was. We can live in what is today and what is to be tomorrow. And the day after that, and then for all eternity, Father, we are yours. And so, Father, I praise you today for every single person that's in this room, that's joining us online, that you would continue to work in their heart, Father. The fact that they've come here today and that they've tuned in today speaks to the fact that they want to see themselves in your story. But, Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, so that, Father, we might see how the Holy Spirit is leading us step after step in this incredible story of God that you're writing. And it's a story of love. And we thank you that it's a story of love, that you embrace us, that you care for us as your own. And Father, what a privilege it is to be called children of God. And Father, thank you for calling us that today. We love you. We praise you. Help us now, Father, to walk in step with the Spirit. It is in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today and joining us online. God bless.